Hello. Welcome to the Kayla Ambrose Show. I'm your host and your travel guide to the other side, Kayla Ambrose. Wanting to talk about all types of topics to do with metaphysics, spirituality. I'm your intuitive lifestyle coach and I'm a wisdom teacher. So along the way, when I do these podcasts, I want to give you food for thought, things to think about, to question, maybe to ask others about, and to think about, are you stuck in your thoughts? Are you stuck in your beliefs? Are you open to thinking and considering things from different points of view? Today's topic is about spirituality in regards to dating and being in a relationship. And the future of this, where is it going? So I probably have more questions than answers today, talking about what's coming up for all of us. Here we are in this new age. We've left the age of Pisces and we're in the age of Aquarius. Said that Aquarius is dropping that wisdom from the heavens above down to us. And so we must seek the answers from within. We're moving into a different way of being and existing and even how the world works. We've been in a very materialistic age. Now we're moving into an age of vibration and frequency. It's a very challenging move, causing a lot of chaos as we all can see. As we begin to focus more on vibration and sound and frequency, we have to become more aware of what we say, what we think, what we speak, what we do, because those thoughts carry energy and frequency and vibration. All sound, words, music, any vibration carries an energy with it. And the thought that's included in that is felt through it. So we are on the precipice of becoming more telepathic, able to communicate with each other through feelings and energy and thoughts. It's going to change relationships a lot. The more people wake up to their intuition and realize that they can feel what their partner is, is feeling or thinking about. People do this already, but they try to ignore it. I can't tell you how many clients have had come to me for a reading, wanting clarification from me if their partner's cheating on them. And I would say 99% of the time, they know, they already know it's true. They just want to hear it from someone else. And that's because they're reading the energy the frequency, the change in vibration from their partner. They're able to in-tune the disinterest, the pulling away, the separating. Way before it happens or anything is said, we are very intuitive creatures. We often know the truth, we just don't want to admit it to ourselves. We're on the precipice of really understanding what we're supposed to be doing and evolving as a human being on earth, having a brief experience here. Brief experience meaning one of our lifetimes. Our soul is here to gather wisdom, energy, experience, and take that data and bring it back to help the soul itself grow further. So each lifetime is like a little blip where we play out different parts and learn more from each perspective. The goal is to balance the masculine and feminine within each of us. 
we have those polarities within us. We all have masculine and we all have feminine. And the biggest goal is to find both of those and bring them to balance within. It's always been this case. This was always taught in the wisdom teachings in the mystery schools. Some teach it, talking about the Ida and Pangala down at the base of the spine and how these two energies, one masculine, one feminine, move throughout the body and connect at each chakra and then pull back out and connect at the next, all the way up to the third eye where they then come to each side of the forehead, open the third eye, and then once connected, go up to the crown chakra and join forces together where we are fully balanced in both. As we've been struggling to understand this as a species, one of the terms that came out was something called soulmate. And that word has really been misused and misunderstood. If anything, make it plural, call it soulmates. We have many people that come into our life to teach us things, to help us grow. That's what a soulmate does. It could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a coworker, could be someone in a relationship. But it's been very misconstrued thinking that there's one person who's your, your soulmate, who you're supposed to meet and marry, and they're gonna make everything wonderful. Usually soulmates um, kind of do the opposite. They challenge you. They challenge you out of your comfort zone. They challenge you to grow and be better and do better. And there's a lot of them. So now that we're entering this new age, the younger generations are acting very different about what is dating, what are relationships, what is marriage. It's all changing. And as always, the older generations are shocked by these changes. And they can't conceive it because they're still traveling and... Uh, in their data of how and what the world should be according to how when they grew up. Astrologically, I could delve into this more, talking about Pluto and its effect on each group, each generation of people, and how the influence of Pluto at that time affects. But that's a story for another day to go into it astrologically. But I believe from what I'm seeing, all of that is about to get rearranged and explained in a new way and you're going to see love dating and marriage and relationships change tremendously in your children's lifetime and definitely in your grandchildren's lifetime to understand this we have to look a little bit at history marriage in the form that we know it in the western world let's say every year came from the Victorian age, a time of purity, a time of women being, and this was in other cultures too, but women being chattel, which is another word for property. And so women were something of value that you traded to someone else. Sometimes women came with a dowry. You were to take this daughter off the man's hands a father would often have a dowry for his daughter and he would offer this dowry of livestock and money and other goods and give it to the man who would then marry his daughter, take her off his hands. 
if there was more wealth involved between the families, it was often a marriage of convenience to connect those families and grow the wealth. There wasn't a lot of focus on the daughter being very happy. It was about getting her married off. And there weren't a lot of rights for women. They were chattel. They were property. There are still some state laws that would shock you to find out what some laws are between husband and wives still to this day. When I speak with millennials and Gen Z and tell them things like until the 1980s that women couldn't get a credit card without a male co-signing for it, whether it had to be her father or her husband, or couldn't buy property on her own, or couldn't get much credit or anything on her own, and had very few opportunities for careers before that. It seems impossible to them now, and I think that's wonderful that it seems impossible, that they can't even conceive that that was not that long ago, and that's how women were treated. It surprises them even more when I explain that it's not been that long, roughly 100 years, since white women were allowed to vote in this country, and even less time for other women to be able to vote. Women are still fighting to earn the same dollar amount for the job they do. But these younger generations are marching ahead and making big changes, whether the old guard likes it or not. Again, as always, I'm not giving my opinion one way or another. I'm just stating some information and showing you what I see are future trends that are coming. Right now with millennials, we see a lot of fear of divorce. Millennials are very, very afraid to make a mistake. It's one of the things that scare them and block them more than anything. They have a lot of anxiety and they're really terrified of doing something wrong. So they're terrified of making a mistake and that includes marriage. So they put it off as long as they can, hoping that they'll figure out the formula or the exact way to make it work. Where is this fear coming from of them making the mistake? Every generation before certainly did not want a divorce. It wasn't that long ago that divorce wasn't possible for some people because of their religious beliefs. Uh, for others, just legally, it was extremely difficult to get a divorce. It's not been that long again. Things changed around the 70s and 80s where that became easier to get as well. So children from that age onward, as divorce became more prominent, um, became the latchkey kids, became the kids that saw the family split up. The question is, is marriage based on forever? Or is marriage to come together for a reason or a season instead of a lifetime? Is it possible to consciously uncouple? Is it right to do so? If a child is told repeatedly that divorce is bad and only sees it as a very negative experience with a lot of hatred and anger and fighting, of course the child is going to say this is wrong and is going to be very concerned about not wanting to repeat that. But if endings were handled differently and they were treated with respect and everyone got along in a sense of we're still family, it's just 
pulled a little in a different direction, would that then change the way that children feel about it? And that's the question I want to delve into here today. Love versus marriage, where is it going to go? Are, do we still have the same reasons to get married? I have so many clients and students who have children with their partners and are saying that maybe one day they'll get married. They seem to have done it, what the old guard would say, in reverse. Having a child first and then considering somewhere down the line if they'll actually make it official and get married. And for older generations, that's unheard of. There are so many more options on the table. First and foremost, because women now have the ability to work at any job, any type of career similar to men, they're able to make their own money. And with that becomes a lot of independence. With that independence becomes the ability not to have to compromise like women did before. Before this time, and it's hard for men to understand because they just thought that's the way it was. They weren't really thinking about it. It's hard for them to understand that women were in a precarious situation. They were told that it could only have a couple types of careers and that they needed a man to be proper, to have any type of status in society, and there was no power without it. And they were purposely kept away from being able to empower themselves in any way. Like I said, from getting credit or buying a house or being able to have that standalone career, they were blocked in many ways. And now that that has flown outside the window, women have the opportunity and the power to delay getting married, to delay joining in that way, instead to enjoy their own life, their own sexuality, their own state of empowerment, their own money. And so it's causing young women to take a lot longer to want to get married. Then we have the topic of gender fluidity. And people are expressing themselves now in that way, trying to figure out what's important to them. How do they identify them, themselves sexually and with their sexuality? And does that need to stay the same way forever? Can it be fluid? Can they experiment? Can they explore? And because these things are more open now, which is a very Aquarian thing, there's, again, do we need to rush into this identity of being married and settle down in that way when we're still exploring parts of ourselves that have not been looked at in, in much detail before? So there's another reason why, why the idea of getting married is being pushed back further and further. Gen Z, for example, coming in after the millennials, thinks that it would be really funny to be engaged in their 20s. When they're polled, most Gen Z people uh, tend to think more they might get married in their 30s. That's very interesting to see marriage being pushed back. Millennials... And these are averages, of course. But millennials seem to have a timeline that 27 is a good time to get married. Gen Z is pushing it back into 30s, something like 32. They don't want to rush it. Why? Uh, well, for one thing, these generations have a different opinion of what is adulthood and what is adulting. And the generations before millennial, 
it was expected that you would learn to be an adult very young. When you were 18, you were an adult. By the laws, you're an adult, You can, which they, those laws still stand. At 18 years old today, you can be sent off to war. You can join the military. You can be drafted. You can commit a crime and be tried as an adult. You can buy a house, apply for credit, in every way possible, except for drinking alcohol, you are considered a full adult and held by the laws of an adult. And so before the helicopter parenting and the overparenting with millennials, the generations before that were considered that they needed to go be adults. So they were encouraged to leave the home. So it was encouraged you would leave the home and you would become a member of society that would be productive, that would be a good citizen, that would set about making yourself into a structure that would be respected and appreciated at work, in your neighborhood, in your town, that you would be seen as, as a good person. And so you had to build stability to do that. And so how you built stability was to get married because you were just starting out, you weren't making that much money, and as you got married and formed a partnership, each person did their part to create a home and a family and create this balance of a adult partnership, building equity, uh, buying a home, settling down. That was the version of adulting. These later generations, Millennial and Gen Z, possibly because of the way they were parented, where the parents were always trying to delay the adulting. They were always trying to delay that sense of responsibility. These were the moms who were in the schools yelling at the teachers that their child should be given more and more reasons and excuses for why they didn't do the work or get the right grade. There was always a, a reason why they should get a fourth, fifth, eighth chance at something. And so, again, we're talking in generalities. This, of course, did not happen to every millennial. Many millennials had it hard, just like any other generation. But we're talking in, in a general consensus. So, the parents were always looking out for them, always taking care of them. And that was very different than the way the older generations were parented. So for these generations, they don't look for marriage to create stability. They look at going back home for stability. You got out in the world and you tried to make it. Things got rough. You go back home. You live in mom and dad's house. You live in their basement. You're, you're there at 25. You're there older saying that you're saving money so that you can get back out there or buy a house or, or whichever. There's no thought about, well, should I try to create structure and get married and the two of us join forces as adults and begin to make a life and create that, that structure. Instead, you go back home to your parents. Again, these are looking at generalities and I'm not stating an opinion one way or another if one is right and one is wrong. I'm looking just at history and why people did what they did and why they do what they do now. The newer generations want 
more stability for themselves independently. They are in that age of Aquarius. They are looking, like I said, for that balance that we've all been seeking, which is the masculine and the feminine within themselves. So they're more focused on themselves and they're not as willing to compromise. Earlier generations, because women were taught that they did not have the same value. And so they were taught they had to compromise. Be a good girl. Do what your husband asks. They were very much part of thousands of years of brainwashing of women had to do that and to submit and to not have their own dreams and wishes. And this has been going on for a very long time. And it's only now these newer generations that are breaking free and women are feeling empowered to have their own independence. And so they want individual stability first rather than getting married and it's us against the world. We're going to make this happen. They're looking for, I want stability. I want my career. I want to make my own money. I want to know myself. I want to love myself. I want to find my self-confidence and my self-esteem and then bring someone in to share with it. This is very different than how what we describe as marriage has been treated for several thousand years. This, of course, brings in many challenges in the dating process, where before, uh, when people met, it was usually in person, and you didn't feel there were as many options around. So if you met someone and you had a chemistry, you pretty much tried to make it work. And women were told that they had to put up with a lot and accept a lot, and that they couldn't date a lot because that made them look uh, a certain type of way, not good. And all, all of basically what women did were told was not good. If they dressed, you know, too, too outlandish or provocatively, if they talked too much, laughed too much, said too much, thought too much, it was very restrictive. And so there were so many compromises being done. And now finally that's changed back into, so we're moving into a more divine feminine time where women can actually have opinions and lives and and do these things. And so another part of that, like I said, is that gender fluidity coming with it, where people are freer to even express that within themselves to see what they need to balance out personally. That's the divine feminine, the divine masculine within each person. So instead of trying to find someone else, quote, soulmate to complete you, to make you happy, that's looking outside for an answer that's supposed to be within. We're supposed to be looking within, balancing that within ourselves. So we may express it in a lot of different ways as we go through this journey. So it's making dating much more complicated uh, because there's so many choices. And the apps, of course, have really complicated this. They've expanded it where you can meet so many people, but at the same time, They've created a sense of FOMO, creating a sense of fear of missing out, right? If you meet someone and you chat with them and there's one little thing that throws you off, it's easy to keep swiping, right? Swipe right, go again. If you have one date and it's uncomfortable or not exactly what you thought, go back to the apps and try again. So while it's given a lot of opportunity 
it's also created a sense of being very, very picky. And I think it's still out whether or not the apps really work because of this. Because it's hard for anyone to really stand up to the scrutiny that's being given to people these days with the apps. And everyone's hunting for that perfect match that probably doesn't exist. I think the apps aren't going away, but I think a new solution is coming. And I think that has to do more with professional matchmakers. And they'll probably use some technology as well to help with their matching. But how I say it is uh, it, matchmakers versus apps is the same way as how I see home renovations. So, you know, I do intuitive interior design. And if you have a matchmaker, that's an expert level. And if you use the app, that's a DIY. So when you're doing your home renovation, do you hire someone and have them, you know, renovate it at a high level and get the expert level? That's what you're doing on dating if you hire a matchmaker. Or do you try it yourself and say, oh, I watched this on YouTube, this video. I can probably figure it out. And it kind of looks good when you're done, right? Sort of, you hope, sometimes. Uh, that's the DIY. That's the app version. The apps are going to change, though, because AI is growing huge, you know, leaps and bounds. Because of that, AI is going to take over a lot of the original part of dating. So you're not going to know really who you're dating at first or meeting on an app. I think there'll be a lot more intelligence used where you've put in your bio and the things you want to match and the technology will go out and try to find those matches and you will have plugged in probably 10 questions uh, and that are looking for specific answers and it'll be like a bot that asks these questions. The person will think you're chatting with them, but it'll be a bot responding and if enough of those match up, then you might jump in and start chatting with the person. But this gives people a chance to reach more and more and more people and try to call them using this technology. I don't know if that's going to work well, but I just think that's probably where it's going to go. If you listen to my podcast on the future of money, you heard me talking about the metaverse and using an Oculus and having your avatar and the metaverse and the things you'll be doing. I think there'll be a lot of virtual dating in the metaverse as well, where you meet a person and I want to date with them virtually and have conversation there and have a whole virtual experience before you might even meet in person. I was talking with some students the other day about the metaverse and where things are going. And of course, they're kind of horrified by it and shocked and think that's very detached. And as I was explaining it to them, I said, you already live in an alternate reality and they're like, what are you talking about? We don't live in something like this where we put our goggles on and we're in this metaverse where all these things are happening and, and all of that. We don't do anything like that. And I said, yes, you do. You just hold your phone and look at a screen. That's the only difference. You're not putting on goggles, but your face is always turned down in that phone and you're in an alternate reality when you're on the web looking at things or in social media you're in a form of an alternative reality and you're not engaged in the now what's going on in the house around you or the people sitting there on the couch with you 
or what's what's going on right presently in front of you. You are in an alternate reality, seeing through your phone, whether you're on social media or watching videos or engaging with people there that you may not even know. They're just people that liked what you posted or whatever you're doing. That is a form of an alternate reality. And so I explained to them, you've already started to live like that. The difference is that you'll have goggles on instead of holding a phone in your hand, but it's going to be similar to you engaging in that way. And that really shocks some of them to think that, that they have already given that part of themselves away living in an alternate reality, but it's, it's true. I'm fascinated by a lot of the social experiment shows, reality shows that are on TV and on Netflix and all the, all the uh, channels like that showing. And the one I watched most recently was Married at First Sight. And they have matchmakers who pull together some couples who they think would be well-suited to become married. And as I watched the show... I thought the matchmakers did a good job. The qualities they found in the people that matched were pretty good. And I think could really lead to a successful marriage. But the problem was the people on the show are too young. Some of the couples were in their mid-20s. And while on paper absolutely did look like a great match, what wasn't being counted in is the emotional immaturity of the people of that age, that they weren't really understanding or ready or receptive yet to understand what a marriage and that commitment means and the compromise uh, and all that it takes, the emotional intelligence and maturity to make a partnership work like that. So it didn't work out for a lot of those couples because of that. What I think would be interesting is to take a show like that, The Married at First Sight, and instead, match couples in their 40s, or even maybe in their early 50s up to that, who know a little bit more about life and understand what it takes really to, to make a marriage work. Match them with all that other criteria that they did such a great job doing with people who have lived a little more life, who are a little more seasoned, and understand what it takes that commitment to, to do that. I think they would get much better responses and solutions and more couples staying married in that show, just if they would tweak the ages a little bit. With all this in mind of where the newer generations are going, marriage really is going to change as well. Marriage really was kind of a business arrangement for a lot of families. And for others, marrying off daughters that were chattel for an exchange of property or goods. Marriage is going to be redefined now. And it's already been redefined that it's not necessary for having children. Like I said, so many people I meet have children and are still deciding if they're ever going to marry the person. What surprises me about that is when I speak to some of the younger generations, and they say they never want to have a divorce. They never want to see a family break up. But when they're having children before even getting married, how is that ensuring that the partnership is going to stay together for the sake of the children? When you're unsure to even commit to this person in marriage, 
but yet you've had the children with them already. I'm not quite sure understanding the logic of that. I guess there's some belief that, hey, at least I didn't get a divorce, but I think that ship is sailed by the time you've had a child with someone. In the future, marriage may change dramatically, meaning that it, the vows may change. It may not be forever anymore. It may be till, till you both don't love each other anymore. Who knows what those vows will change to? Because time is moving quicker, and we are evolving at a much quicker pace. So someone who may be a soulmate, we may join together with to learn, to grow. And then when that has culminated, when we've learned what we needed to learn and had those experiences, it may be time for our souls to part and to go have other experiences with other people. And so it would be more of a conscious uncoupling. And that would be for the benefit of all. If that was understood, and if it is being understood by these younger generations, then it will become an expansion of family. So the father and mother may not live at home together anymore, but they're still present in the children's lives. And then the new step-parents come in, and they're present as well, and the family continues to extend in this way. This may be where it is going, that family just gets larger and larger, creating a new form of family and a stability that is that is growing. So children may end up with eight sets of grandparents or 12 sets of grandparents and multiple siblings through multiple marriages or connections. Or marriage may go away, go away altogether and may just become coupling. I know a lot of these thoughts are very frightening to some people as they feel that these things have built the fabric of our society. But part of evolution is taking a look at everything to see if it's worked, has worked, or was it constructed on shaky ground. And if it was constructed on shaky ground, it might need to be reevaluated. It might need to be revised. Why is white worn at weddings when in other cultures, White is a color of mourning. It only became the color of choice in the Western during the time of the Victorian age and where it was shown as a sense of being virginal. And that really probably isn't portraying most of the brides that walk down the aisle anymore. So is it a custom that still works or is it outdated? Should there be choices of gowns in all types of colors? What about the veil that was covered over the face, only revealing the bride at the end in front of the groom when the father pulled the veil back? What about the father answering, who gives this person away? Who gives this woman away? And the father would take the bride's hand and put it in the husband's hand and say, I give her away to this person. That was part of the legal contract. That was, that was being done, the trade, should those things change as well? Don't get me wrong. I'm a sucker for a good wedding. I love all the romance of it and all the things that people don't even think about today, where these things came from. But what I'm saying is it doesn't hurt to think about these things and where they came from and if it's time for a revision. And what is revising in front of your eyes by the by the younger generations ready or not it's it's happening 
so much more I want to talk about with spiritual dating and relationships. I'll have to do some other podcasts on this. But lastly, I just want to leave with one tip that, that I find so amusing on the dating apps. If there are any men listening to this podcast, just to, just to help you out the teeniest bit, okay? Don't put pictures of you holding fish on your dating app. There is no woman out there that wants to see a picture of you holding a fish. So unless you're looking to friend match and you're trying to make some guy friends, do not put a picture of you holding a fish or pictures of your dog. A picture with you and your dog, one picture's fine. But some guys actually put pictures of their dogs. That's not going to work either. And if you're trying to reach out on a video or TikTok or whatever social media, lose the toothpick. The toothpick is not your friend either. So just some tips to help. If you're wondering where some things went wrong, remove the fish picture. Only one picture of your dog with you, not by itself. And lose the toothpick. Those are just some simple things to get you started. As always, these are just thoughts and ramblings and musings by me, looking at things that are going on, talking to clients and students I have of all ages. I have students from their 20s, from their, they're in their mid-20s, all the way up until their mid-80s. So I hear so many interesting beliefs and perceptions of all these different age ranges. And I try to put them kind of into a general consensus here to see where's the world going and what do people feel about it according to their age range? I think it's a fascinating time. And marriage is definitely moving up to a higher number before people consider it. And like I said, you know, um, Gen Z is talking about not getting married till like 32. My question about that is, where do we go with our biological clock? Do you wait till the very last minute to get married, Gen Z? And then... You just fire off some quick babies as soon as you say your vows because you've only got a small window to do that. Where are we going with children in this case with that? And where's the focus going on marriage? Is it bringing two people together to start a family or is it for something different? Are you defining it in a different way of what marriage means? It, is it more pragmatic? Are you more logical about it? Do you see love in the same way? In previous generations, people were giddy with love, just overwhelmed by the emotion and in love and believing everything else would work out. You didn't overthink some of the dynamics of how it would work. You just knew if the two of you loved each other enough, you would compromise and do whatever to make it work and to figure out the rest. Where are you with this? Where do you see falling in love? Are you able to be vulnerable and fall in love in the same way? I'm curious. I'd love to hear from you and your thoughts as always about this. We'll be talking a lot more, I think, in future podcasts about this because there's a lot to learn and the world is changing quickly. As always, it's been a joy and a lot of fun to talk with you here, to share some thoughts. Please visit my website, exploreyourspirit.com. You can send me an email there on the contact form. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have questions or comments that you'd like me to touch on in the shows here. And while you're there, subscribe to my newsletter. 
You never know in today's world which avenues are going to be taken down for podcasts and, and the like. And if you're on my newsletter, you can always stay caught up with me wherever I'm at. Wishing you a very happy dating slash relationship, whatever you're in right now. I hope it's going well for you.